just a quick, small, tiny, tiny question. Um, what the f is going on with the stock market? I decided to ask an expert because I do not have the answers. So here's an interview with that expert, Kelsey Willock. See you at the end. Kelsey, if you don't mind, I would love if you could introduce yourself. Tell me about who you are and what you do. Yes, um, so I am Kelsey Willock. I am the co-founder and CEO of Aura Finance. We are a mindful money management platform. Uh, my partner, Courtney Carden, and I founded the company just about a year ago. Um, so we certainly have been off to the races. Um, and prior to that, I spent my career at Goldman Sachs. And I have been a fan of yours on the internet um, for some time now. And I saw you tweet about this. And this is why I, I reached out in the first place. Tweet about volatility and uncertainty. And you have a lot of insight uh, having worked in this space, covered this space, and understood it pretty deeply. So I want to start by just putting all of this kind of into context. Kelsey, if you don't mind, just explaining a little bit like what's going on, because it can be really confusing to see the headlines and to try to understand what they mean in context. So as far as you can tell, when it comes to what's happening in the markets, what is happening? When you're in that kind of bullish era, and that basically means the market's on a tear, um, everything feels like it's going up, everything's in the green everyone feels like they can do no wrong. And now we've entered this period where people are seeing a lot more red. So people are starting to see the stock market um, go down, but I think it's really important to look at it in context. And you're gonna hear a lot of jargon from everyone. People are throwing around words like recession, crisis, um, things that incite a lot of stress and anxiety. Um, so essentially what has happened is people are talking about us entering a bear market. And by definition, a bear market means the market has, or the market is also a phrase that you need to think of lightly. Um, we often use benchmarks like the S&P 500 um, or the Dow Jones as a benchmark. And if those benchmarks or the stock market as a whole has gone down from its peak 20%, it's valid to say that we're in bear market territory. Um, so we've certainly, by that definition, come close to it, but haven't necessarily entered official bear market territory. In some contexts, yes, but if we're talking about S&P and Dow Jones, no. So the S&P, when I looked at it this morning, we were down about 15.5% to date. Again, that's not reaching 20%, nor does that necessarily mean we're in a recession, which is a period of continuous declining economic performance. Um, but that being said, I think that there is a lot of sensational news also going on where people are seeing companies, you know, whether it's Peloton or Netflix, go down 50% in value. So that incites a lot of stress and anxiety in people. So I think the discourse right now is what the heck is going on? And all I can say is, you know, it's a part of the stock market process. These things happen, they're natural. And I think we're gonna get into this a little bit later when we think about good versus bad. But I like to think of it as it's happening. Uh, markets contract, whether it happens due to geopolitical issues or it has to do with supply chain or it has to do with excess and demand. Um, we are in a period of contraction and uh, that's just kind of what's going on. Yeah, I think that it's it's interesting to interpret the headlines as 
neutral as possible, right? Because we do so often, I think our kind of default method of understanding what's happening in the world around us is things are good or bad. Rarely do we interpret them as just neutral or just neutral events that are typical in what is a cyclical stock market, right? So we see, you know, Peloton down 50% or big tech has lost a trillion dollars in value. And I do wonder if part of this also has to do with uh, our our kind of, um, you know, like celebrity sort of reverence for some big companies that they become the Pelotons, the Apples and Netflixes, these companies that matter so much because they're so deeply ingrained in pop culture and business and pop culture have kind of crossed over in some aspects for some of these big companies. Um, And we see the headlines that they've lost a ton of value or that they are cutting jobs or that they have to cut budgets. Um, and that can be really concerning. But I think you make an interesting point here that it's important to recognize it's not just big tech. That's not the market, right? This is a much broader ecosystem than just these big star kind of companies. Right. And even when you look at it on a broader context, like if we're looking at those, uh, the S&P or the Dow Jones in a basis of five years, those are up like 50, 60 percent. Um, over the long term. And when you also look in things in a broader term, corrections of 20% happen around every 3.5 years. So it's almost in the sense when I think of things like therapy or whatnot, it's not that you're never going to experience hardship in your life. It's never that you're not going to experience bad things happen to you or periods of wonderful things happen to you. They are simply going to happen. And and recognizing that they're going to happen in the market, I think is is really honestly calming, especially to me, recognizing that it's okay that things aren't always this straight line up. They're going to look like this. Um, I actually wrote an article a couple months ago about going on a bachelorette party where it was one of the most fun weekends that I've had in years. It was one of my best girlfriends. Um, And the first, or it was the second day of the party, the bride literally lost a tooth. So everyone was like, this party is ruined. Like, we all need to leave Mexico. Like, this is atrocious. And then, you know, she found her tooth. And then we went on a boat and, like, continued to have, like, one of the best times. Then someone lost or got their credit card stolen. So it was a quite rocky weekend, which ended up being so much fun in the end. We all looked back on it, laughed on it, um, and making lifelong friendships. And that's kind of how I think about market volatility. It is going to be bumpy. It's going to be painful. But if you think long term and you think ultimately with a positive mindset – you're going to be okay. It's tough out there. And I think that for many investors, especially who got started in the stock market during 2020, which is a sizable share of retail investors, uh, at least among our generation and our cohort, this feels like it could be really, really bad um, because never really have we experienced something like this. I can look at the data and reassure myself that everything is going to be fine by the time I retire. This is going to be a a non-issue, right? But in the moment, it feels like this is the apocalypse happening. So I wonder how we determine whether things are, are kind of just bad neutral or bad bad um, as investors, because that to me seems to be one of the big questions that people are tossing around today. Is this just going to be a run-of-the-mill kind of correction? Is this going to be a redo of the Great Recession? A lot of questions about what the future of um, you know markets and, and volatility and uncertainty look like. Yeah, no, I think it's a really good question. And for starters, I think one of the things that you can do to help yourself is not even look at something in the context of good versus bad, but Mm. it is. There are periods when things are, you know, better than others. 
but kind of stripping away the language that you know incites that sensationalism of good versus bad I think is part of creating a narrative that kind of puts your mind at a little bit more ease and in the context of this specific um, situation, I went through the 2008 financial crisis, but I was in grade school. Mm-hmm. So I don't necessarily have this like deep memory of it, nor did I know how to react to the market and the time beyond how it affected my family. And it certainly did greatly. Um, I don't ever want to, to call a recession. I try to shy away from anything that's, that's too exact or has too much conviction, but I think it's important to think about it in the context of like previous um, uh, corrections. So like uh, in 2008, we had uh, too much debt on too few of assets. So there was, you know, debt access. Um, in 1999, we had equity access. Company valuations were too high and prices were too high. Um, that being said, in the current scenario and the current market environment that we're in, we're not seeing as much excess. You know, companies aren't necessarily as massively overvalued. There are absolutely outliers, given the you know the Netflix and the Peloton examples that were given, um, and there are certainly a lot of geopolitical risks at play. But again, when you when you really take that bird's eye view and you think about what's actually going on, comparative to other crises and recessions, we're not at those levels that we saw in those two previous examples that I gave. You know, the job market is strong. Um, Consumers have more savings than they ever had in their bank accounts. Um, You know, company valuations aren't necessarily as overpriced as, you know, say the 1999 crisis. Um, I think the really interesting thing, however, that's going on is consumer sentiment. I think there's reality and then there's the sentiment of the reality. And certainly the sentiment right now is not good. Right. Um, so reframing how that sentiment um, is really positioned, I think, is a part of the process that we can all do individually to help again, like, kind of put that anxiety a little bit more at ease, um, especially given those that haven't been through it. And I think the example that I always look back to is I will never forget um, when I was going through my first breakup. Um, you know, I told my mom, like, I've never felt such pain like this in my life. You'll never understand. You've never been through it. And my mom just kept saying, like, no, I've been through it. Like, you're going to be okay. You're going to get through this. And I just remember like sitting in my room crying, being like, no one has felt the pain that I'm experiencing right now. And I don't think anyone could have said anything to me at the time that was going to make me feel better. I kind of just needed to live through it. And I think in the market situation, sometimes you have to go through it. Like we're all as individuals going to experience, you know, if you look at the math, not that, you know, historical data always permeates uh, future situations. But given the historical context that we have, we're likely going to live through five, six recessions. We're likely going to live through tens of bear markets. Um, The first one is going to feel really hard. And that's okay. Um, And it's similar to that, you know, that first heartbreak that you have, it's going to feel really hard, you're going to have future heartbreaks that are going to feel really hard. And just recognizing that that is a part of the life journey. Um, I think it's pretty powerful. Yeah, it's the, the kind of thing that never feels like you're going to make it through until all of a sudden you look back and you realize that you have and that you will continue right. to exist in that cycle for the rest of your years, which is it is a great comfort to, to recognize that. You're going to live through many recessions. By the time you retire, you will have invested through all any number of, of bear markets or corrections or major massive meltdowns or maybe none, you know, that, that these things just happen. Um, but I wonder how we kind of express that to people in a way that 
that makes sense, right? Because it can be really difficult to look, open your account right now and look at it and feel like, shit, you know, like, what am I, what am I going to do? How am I going to come back from this? Um, And so I I guess just how do we incentivize the long-term thinking for investors who might be newer to investing today um, or, or people who got into it during a time in which everything was just like up and to the right constantly. How do we incentivize long-term thinking in that way? It's such a good question because, you know, it's not that people were at a detriment to enter the market during this like bullish era when everything was going up. But I think putting it into context of where you start matters and impacts your perception long-term. It's even, you know, not to beat a dead horse here, but you know, people talk about money stories constantly. Money stories developed by the age of seven, and they affect you throughout your lifetime. I think individuals that started investing during this bullish era similarly had this story narrative play out. They've only ever seen green. It has been difficult for them to see red, and red feels really painful because it's something they've never experienced. In that breakup scenario that I was describing, um, I felt at the time that I was experiencing a lot of pain because I had only ever felt good. Um, But since then, I've had many breakups, and I've had many heartbreaks. And uh, again, when I look back to what my mom told me, I finally feel like I was able to learn from it. So all I can say is, and and mom, if you're listening, um, thank you. (laughs) But like, try to appreciate the past a little bit. I think we're constantly in this this time of, you know, so much forward thinking. We're in this period of exponential growth and change. And it's so easy to say or believe that, you know, everything is changing so drastically that the past doesn't matter. But we don't know that. All that we know is change is constant and we have historical data. So I find solace in that. I also do think one thing that is quite powerful is the fact that we do know with actually conviction about the future is inflation. Hmm. Um, So even if you don't wanna listen to historical data and you don't believe in it, the fact that inflation counteracts your net worth so severely, especially in periods of, you know, where monetary policy is, you know, selling bonds and interest rates going up, Um, that affects your dollar and that makes you puts you in a position where you really do need to think long term and you'd make you want to make sure your dollar is not just like tucked into your to your mattress kind of thing you want to make sure that you are reaping the benefits of growth in the economy Um, because otherwise you're you're really losing more than you could be in this um, you know environment of losing money in the stock market. I think we've created a narrative, unfortunately, especially in this bullish phase of investing in the stock market as like this kind of like gambling-esque environment. When in reality, if you really just try to think of it as a vehicle for long-term growth, it becomes much less of a Vegas vibe um, and much more of a security blanket, which I think those two things are so drastically different but it's about shifting your mindset and understanding how it can benefit you, I think is what at least helps me think more long-term. Absolutely. And you know, there's, there's so much that you, you just said that I would love to unpack even more. I think the, the idea of the money stories kind of translating into these investing stories is particularly interesting because anybody who's listening or watching this can understand that they have a very specific relationship to money that they might not even know when it developed, right? It developed so early that you probably can't even remember it. But whatever happened, whatever the circumstances you faced in life impacted the way that you view money, the way that you view any risk taking or any risk aversion. Uh, And I think the same can be said here for investing. And I wonder with that in mind, 
do you think that people who are potentially beginning to invest now in this kind of post 10 years of bull market era, do you think that they will have a different relationship with the concept of investing in stocks in the first place because they might be coming to the market at this time? Do you think that maybe they will view it a little bit more of a more of a long-term play and less of the Vegas vibe? So as a perfect example, I had a conversation with someone the other day who lost a lot of money in the stock market in 2008 due to very extreme concentrated positions. What that means is she basically put all of her money into two stocks um, and lost about like 80% of it. And also even reframing the sense of losing means you sell. Um, Losing, uh, I think sometimes people when they see red consider that to be a loss, but if you are in a more long-term mindset, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a loss. It just means it's an intermediary blip. But as a result, um, she told me she had never invested in the stock market again. Now we're, you know, almost 20 years later, the market has grown so, so much since then. I I don't have the numbers in front of me, um, but even like I said, the market has, or like the S&P has grown 60% in the past five years. Think about those numbers on the context of a 20 year period. She actually lost so, so much more than she had in that one blip year of those concentrated positions because of that fear game. I don't want to lose this again. Now we're dealing with a group of investors that have only ever seen green and are so fearful to lose because they haven't had it happen to them. They've only experienced, you know, this rocket ship environment. And unfortunately, it also creates the environment that they feel they know exactly what they're doing. And I'll never be someone to say I know exactly what I'm doing, but one thing I do know how to do is behave well. Um, There's that quote. I think it's like a Warren Buffett quote. Like, you don't have to be the smartest person, but you have to be the one that knows how to behave the best. What I'm saying to new investors is you're probably thinking right now, like, you know exactly how to do this. Like, you have gained so much money in the past five, ten years that you've been investing. Um... And that's an amazing thing to experience, but it's not typical. It's certainly not as typical in the, the how long this bull market has lasted. And it doesn't mean you're not going to experience blips. Recognizing that you will, I think, will help keep you in the headspace. Like, stay committed, stay the course, and don't try to time it because you're never going to time the market. Um, no matter how much you feel that you can, there's a lot of luck involved, but even statistically, like, Passive investors outperform active, and there's reason to that. It has a lot to do with um, that consumer and like behavior bias that we're all subject to. Don't fall, don't fall victim to the fact that you're always going to be in the green, but that you want to be in the green long term. And that's yeah. all about committing to the journey, not this like immediate destination. I think that that is so incredibly important and often something that I have not really seen um, talked about in any sort of a a big way. Uh, As you were explaining that, I was thinking back to, sound like, I don't, sounds like this was forever ago. It was like two years ago, but the summer of 2020, I was like seeing this guy who was a DJ, (laughs) of course. (laughs) We meaning young people like so often say that we have all the answers and we know like 
we should be able to rationalize that we simply do not. Um, but it feels like we do because we've lived so much, right? Like we've lived through two years of like Bitcoin, whatever, you know, and this kid thought he was the expert because he was a, had, you know, seven figures in his net worth because of his like Coinbase account. Um, and that is not necessarily going to pay the bills in the long term. And that's kind of astounding to think about where all these people are going to be 10, 20 years down the road. I, quite frankly, have like no idea. And that's a little concerning. And that's where, you know, I think we hear so, so many of these stories. And there are going to be examples where there are going to be billionaires made out of these environments. There's going to be millionaires made out of those those situations. There's going to be people that lose millions or hundreds of thousands and go from you know, rags to riches, riches to rags. Um, but I think, you know, that's where personal finance does become this like deeply personal journey where it's not just about listening to what others are doing, but figuring out what's right for you. Mm-hmm. And like, <laughs> this is such a cheesy line, but like the best investment plan that you can um, pursue is the one that you can stick with. And that doesn't mean what your best friend or your parents or your neighbor is doing is going to be the plan that you can stick with. That's where it becomes this like deeply personal journey of figuring out like, what's my money story? What makes me comfortable? What are my goals? What do I think that I can feel confident doing? How can I kind of wave this environment? Because even in our conversation today, we're, we're talking about like what's going on in the market, what you can do. The reality is like, what you can do and what you should be doing, the answer is personal to you. Mm. You know, it's about listening to conversations like this. It's about unveiling what's going on with your own life, what you want out of your finances, uh, what do you want to achieve with your finances and, and, and figuring out the journey that's right for you rather than just listening to what other people tell you is right for you. Especially bearing in mind what we talked about in the very first couple of minutes of this conversation, that the stock market is enormous. It's it's a a vast entity. It's not as if you can only invest in a handful of stocks, right? There are all manner of ways to invest your money, of means of investing your money, Um, which brings me to any recommendations that you might have for people who, um, you know, are, are interested in trying to cut through the noise. Um, like what, what is your philosophy for trying to kind of see past that bullshit that we see all the time of like Jim Cramer, like slamming his sell button on <laughs> mad money, you know, like what is the better alternative? The best plan that you can pursue is the one that you can stick with. And I'd be remiss not to mention what our company does. Um, like we're a mindful money management platform. It's all about unveiling, you know, what works best for you. We learn about you, your money story and your financial goals. We're also an RIA, so we invest on your behalf. So we try to remove a lot of that intrinsic bias that the market often um, causes by investing on your behalf, by learning about what your behalf means. So we help align your investment strategy, so your risk, your time horizon, uh, with the goals that you have in mind, whether it's you know buying a home, um, buying a car, creating intergenerational wealth, whatever that might be, um, or even just that you wanna work less. Um, we also align your investments with your beliefs because we know you're also going to be more willing to stick with something if you feel good about it. Um, so, you know, whether if you don't want to be invested in oil and gas companies or tobacco, we let you filter it out. If you want to be more committed to climate activism, we let you filter it on. Um, and we'll help put you on that course toward, you know, whatever financial freedom looks like to you. But understanding that that definition is very different to many people. 
Um, but that being said, um, you know, obviously I'm a huge advocate for Aura as, you know, um, being part of the company. But um, I think asking yourself what you're really looking for is important. Um, so if you're really looking for like hands-on help, maybe you need a financial advisor. Uh, maybe you're still just working on getting your emergency savings account um, prior to investing. Set boundaries for yourself. Think long-term. Um, potentially sign up for the Aura waitlist if you're interested in using um, like our services. But I think there's so many interesting platforms out there that can really suit your needs. It's about figuring out what's best for you um, in this wave of like the democratization of financial services, really making you know excellent services available to everyone. You have to know what you're looking for before you can actually go out and uh, seek it. And those goals are going to change. It's natural for them to change as they should. Uh, but I think having a solid idea of what you want out of your investing experience is not only important, but it's also totally possible today. Kelsey, thank you. This was wonderful. I feel uh, like I have a lot more clarity and context as to what is going on um, and also just a, a clearer head in terms of the sensationalism of all of this, of the, the markets, quote unquote. So thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you talking to me. Well, thank you so much for having me. And for anyone that's still feeling stressed, sometimes all you need is just a walk, a breath. Um, everything's gonna be okay. <laughs>